Welcome to the 353rd, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Anders Brownworth. I am Scott Barstow. Scott, what's going on? How are things? Things are very good. Uh, since we've been talking a lot about the weather the last couple of weeks, I feel the need to mention that we endured the remnants of Tropical Storm Lee, I think it was, this week. And yes. on Wednesday, Tuesday or Wednesday, I think it was Tuesday, it may have been the most humid day I've ever been a part of. Really? Oh my gosh. I walked out at 6.30 in the morning to go outside and and it I it, it, I started sweating within a second of walking out at the door. <laughs> that does not sound pleasant, and of course yeah. that means it's probably on its way up here. Um, yeah, you should be uh, you should be getting ready to enjoy that. The yeah. nice thing is, is that uh, as of today, all of it appears to be gone, and we are enjoying some semi-fallish weather. It's uh, it's in the low low 80s or thereabouts and the air is a lot is a lot cleaner and all of that sort of fun that would be welcome news for me it's, it's been raining for days here so that's that's no fun yeah. um so anyway continuing on our doom and gloom and the disaster scenario and and all that what i thought we'd talk about is what what do you do what do you do when the um you know let's say a katrina type event or some uh you know, tsunami type event, something that knocks out a good amount of power, uh, knocks out probably your internet connection. What, what are your communication capabilities? You know, we are, we're all taking the internet so much for granted. And, and, you know, here we are building out VoIP networks on top of, you know, comparably less, uh, less, uh, uh, you know, capable infrastructure than the old PSTN in the sense of just, you know, raw uptime. Yeah. Um, are we are we doing ourselves a disservice? What happens first of all? What happens when the power goes out? Do you pretty much do you have a do you have a landline by the way? Um, we have no. We have a VoIP line actually. We don't have a landline into the house. Yeah. So. Um, I actually, when we moved into the house we live in now, there was a landline and in the process of, uh, something I was doing outside, I stuck a shovel through it. (laughs) That's that's the way not to get a landline. (laughs) Yeah. And so that put an end to uh, that. I almost at the very same time put a shovel through the cable. Um, (laughs) so, uh, so yeah, so we do not, we don't, we have a, uh, our, right now our, our home phone service comes through Time Warner. Yeah. And but we're actually getting ready to get rid of that and go 100% sell. Really? Yep. Really. So 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 the uh the Time Warner VoIP line that's delivered over cable. I guess. That's right. Yep. Okay. What's the uptime like there? It's pretty good. Um yeah, I, we've probably had in the last I would say it's probably, you know, four nines at least. Really? My yeah. my experience has been pretty pretty terrible, especially when I lived in your state uh North Carolina. It was up and down. I mean, you know, we go a few months and I have to have the guy come out and change something or other, upgrade, whatever, and then, you know, we'll work for a few more months. So I never had good luck with it. I've got hmm. uh, Fios right now, which has been up nonstop since I got it. Uh, it's uh, 50 megabits and I pay $44 a month. Yeah, that's crazy. So this that is kind of hard to that- yeah, that makes me want to come upstairs and put a bullet in your head, or come up there and put a bullet in your head. <laughs> it's uh, it, it makes me want to you know jump for joy actually. But anyway, uh, so so with the power, I mean we had a power blip. This wasn't actually surprisingly associated with the storm, but we had a power blip, and and you know my server went down, and it got me thinking. I I, I have a big server, 
that's effectively a virtualized uh, system. It's got a bunch of memory and a whole bunch of disk, and you know I run uh, about eight virtual machines on it. Uh, it's been it's very useful, but I also use that effectively as the hub of my network. I use that as the center, so it actually has a real IP on the internet, and then it uh, manages NAT for all my IPv4 uh, boxes, and also does my uh, IPv6 tunnel and and does IPv6 for all my uh, internal network, so it's pretty pivotal. And then the power blipped and it didn't come back right for whatever reason. I'm having drive problems with it actually. So uh, we were effectively down. I was away at the time. My wife couldn't get on the internet, and she ended up having to pull the wire out and just plug it directly directly into her laptop, which is a less than optimal uh, scenario. So. That, that's showing a little bit of a kink in the armor, but it got me to thinking, you know, what do you really do when, uh, when the infrastructure at large kind of crumbles a little bit? Uh, so you mentioned going uh, wireless, and I think a lot of people just assume the, the cell network will stay up. Yeah, and I, obviously that's not the case if you have an extended power outage unless there's generators, you know, at the... Uh at the points, uh, you know, uh, points of not points of presence, but you know, what I'm trying yeah, to say the, the the towers, sure, the, the towers, top. yeah. So yeah. so so, but uh, but presumably, right? Isn't that easier to do to get generators, even bring them there or start them up there or whatever it is, than it is to roll a truck to everybody's house? So isn't the overall uptime better if you do that? Well, yeah, but you, if in the uh, I mean, in the pre-cell days, uh, power didn't affect phone lines at all. True. So it's well, actually yes and it's, no. So it's less reliable. No, yes and no. I mean, power, uh, clearly, telephone lines still used power. It's just that the COs, the central offices, right. had uh, generation capacity or whatever it is. Yeah, I, I mean, I can't remember. I've been, you know, whether it was snowstorms in New York or hurricanes here or hurricanes when I lived in Virginia, where we had, you know, a day and a half of power outage. We never lost phone service ever. Right. So so. Uh, do you know if those uh, those wires were above ground or underground? I think in in most cases they were underground. Yeah, that's that's very likely I, why. Yeah, right? it was buried. So yeah. obviously, if it was on the if it was on the uh, the poles, then a lot of the poles would come down, or the wires between the poles would come down. So because yeah. of the tree damage and stuff like that. Well, here's another issue. So uh, ten years ago, almost exactly September 11th. I was in New York. You couldn't complete a cell phone call if you tried. Yep. It was jammed up and uh, and pretty terrible. Uh, I imagine the same type of thing would happen in a big storm. Granted, the big storm is not focused all in one, you know, one moment in time. It's kind of like it was with Katrina and and the uh, the Japanese uh, tsunami spread across many many days. So maybe it's not as much of a problem, but I imagine capacity will still be the, you know, a big problem. I guess yep. capacity and then backhauls from the cell sites to the uh, the the rest of the PSTN. You know, yep. like if, yeah. they, if you lose if you lose your uh, your connectivity between the cell site, it doesn't matter if the cell site stays up. Who cares? You can't make a call. I mean, presumably yep. you could call the other people on that cell site, but. You know that's that's limited, if anything, in terms of quality or usefulness. Yeah. yeah, I think it's in terms of like for phone in particular, which is kind of what we're talking about right now. I guess the I think it's probably less reliable, obviously, in terms of you know uh, 
if you're if you've got buried cable as a as the alternative, obviously that's going to withstand um, you know withstand the elements more than more than the cell the well, cell network will. But what I about think, flood? Yeah, I mean, but I can't. I mean, has a flood ever disrupted phone service? I just it, I just think it rarely happens. Yeah, um, true. So. I think it's more what you are susceptible to, obviously, is a cut. You know, somebody sticks a backhoe, yeah. somebody sticks a backhoe, you know, they're digging up a street and they stick a backhoe through the wrong spot in the street. And, and, that's and, it. and then that's it for a lot of, you know, half the city or something like that. Yeah, but presumably that can be fixed. That, that large chunk could be fixed relatively quickly as well because it's one tiny little localized area. See, the problem was with the, uh, the, the, wider maybe a flood that floods underground cabling and all that's all copper or elect uh, you know effectively electric cable as opposed to fiber right um you you get you get shorts and who knows where you know some middle of the middle of the long haul line somewhere uh and you know things kind of break in many many places um yeah but that so that brings up a good thing so then what about the internet so let's say Let's say phone is is uh, relatively okay. You can you can get there with your cell, whatever. What about internet? I mean, obviously, you, you could use three G or whatever, and and you know your basic lifelines to, uh, you know, I guess email and and you know Twitter and and you know the web and a couple of things. I mean, you're not going to watch, you know, TV through the web at that, you know, through the net at that point, are you? No, but I think uh, so. If when uh, what I can tell you is that when uh, Irene came through here, we were both my wife and I were on our iPhones to the local WRAL, the local TV station here. Um, we were on; they've got a pretty sweet uh, iPhone app, mm-hmm. and so we were able to track. I mean, they've got real-time radar shots and all of that sort of thing, and you could actually watch their real live broadcast on the phone. Really. Yeah, so it was a great way to stay in touch, even though we could have turned on the TV, but we could mm-hmm. because we never lost power, we never lost cable service or anything like that. But there were a number of times when you know I was away from the TV or whatever, and I yeah. would just flip to that app and say, "Oh yeah, well here's what's going on. Here's the current track. You know, looks like it's you know 100 miles from us or whatever it was." And so I think the in that case, my you know it was really handy. I think the other thing that's Going back to, and I, I wrote about this probably a couple of years ago, but I remember uh, it was kind of a how how times have changed uh, kind of experience. So I remember this was probably a year and a half or so ago at least. We lost power in the middle of the night. It was just you know middle of the summer. A transformer blows and the street goes black. Right. And I remember um, before you would walk, pick up the yellow pages, look for Progress Energy's you know service number pick up the phone and call them. Mm-hmm. And I remember, um, you know, I, I, the power went out. So, you know, the, the house stopped making noise. And so, <laughs> so I wake up yeah. and, and I remember reaching over to my bedside table, picking up my phone, getting on the net, looking, going to progress energy's website, finding the phone number, you know, touching the phone number on my phone, calling it, you know, registering the outage, hanging up, Turning on the flashlight app on my phone, going <laughs> going downstairs to find candles, um, and doing everything I needed to do with my iPhone. Well, that, that's cool. I mean, uh, first of all, uh, you know, a, a ding on the the uh, power company that actually has to pay somebody to sit in a seat and answer a phone. How come they 
either don't have a way via their website or some app or something to just let you say, hey, there's no power at such and such an address, and, and then, you know, I'm done. Well, that's all I had to do. When you call the number, it says, "Oh, are you? What number are you call? Are you calling from your house number?" Yeah, and you say, and you, yeah, say and I, you say no, you know, because I was. Uh, so, it's, it's, so it's all automated. Yeah, and then you just say, and they say, "Oh, well, we've had." They either say, "Well, you're the only person registered in your area," or they say, uh-huh. "We've been receiving reports in your area." So it's fully automated. They should do that uh, with like a Google Map. They should. They should. You know, you should be able to whatever. Anyway, yeah. I digress. So anyway, um, I think the. Uh, I forget what we were talking about. Yeah, who knows? So, so the internet. So, uh, let let's say you uh, you you have a event like that happened in Japan, and your you know your cell network stays up for slow internet, really really slow internet. If you can get it, I'm just imagining a typical disaster scenario. You know, the landlines are up, but you don't have one, right? Yep. Your internet is down. Because that's delivered by the, the the cable company, and they're sort of a you know second tier or third tier or whatever in terms of uh, quality and response time. That's probably not going to come back for some time. So you have slow internet, enough to read web pages, send email. That's about it. Maybe run a couple of apps um, if you can get online, because everybody else is kind of going the same direction. Yeah. Um, and and then. Uh, now what happens if the infrastructure further falls apart? Like I'm thinking, you know, if there's a uh, a major tsunami event on the eastern seaboard that covers a lot of the eastern seaboard, which is very possible, um, you know, some some core routers start to go out and we we lose some significant connectivity, whether it's the rest of the country or the world or whatever, you know, maybe undersea cables are cut, who knows, Internet is kind of flaky. What else? What else is the fallback? Because back in the day, you had broadcast networks. Uh, everything was pretty much, you know, one big broadcast tower. And if that thing had power, everybody had TV. Yep. Uh, or you know, obviously, you'd have to have electricity to have TV as well. But um, you know, basically, it was a it was a single point that needed to work, and then everything else worked. Uh, same is true of radio. Um, you know, you can think of all the emergency radio uh, systems that are out there. Um, you know, they're always testing this uh, on the radio. Yeah. Um, so, so l- let's say your internet goes dark. Your cell can't complete a call for whatever reason. Maybe you're even run out. You you have no power and you can't recharge, and that's why you can't, you know, communicate. But yep. you you do you have like a like a hand crank radio or something in the house? Yeah, or? I do. I've we actually have uh, we've got two, um, and we so we've got a in our basement we keep a box that has uh, batteries, candles, water to drink. Really, it's um, a good idea. And uh, and then in that box is a is this uh, my parents probably eight or 10 years ago, um, got me a hand crank radio for Christmas. And so, and it gets, it gets all of the emergency channels, you know, the weather service, all of those things that you would need to the emergency broadcast network. Um, it will pick up all of those networks and it will just pick up regular FM or AM radio for that matter. Now is the food eight or 10 years old as well? <laughs> there is no food. We feel like we feel like food is not required at that point. Yeah. Um, no, it's just we. At one point, we I think we had you know some some uh, non-perishables in there, but it wasn't. Yeah. 
at some point we figured, okay, well, you know, we can walk over the grocery store if we need to. Yeah. Um, and, and, and batter, you know, battle everybody else. Uh, that's right. Last that's supplies. right. Bring right. your gun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, all right. So that's cool. Now that's actually something I should do. Get, uh, you know, hand crank radios. Uh, that's a good idea. What about solar? You have anything? I don't, I don't yeah. know. And we've actually talked about, there's a, uh, there's a guy I know here that sells, uh, you know, home solar stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I've thought about putting it, putting it up. Um, but it's, uh, it's probably of, if there were a hundred things on my list, it's probably 99. Yeah. Right. Uh, just because especially when we moved into the house, we had really old air conditioning, which when you live in the South runs for nine months out of the year. Yeah, sure. And <clears throat> so we actually, um, replaced our HVAC and our heating bills dropped by, you know, a third. That is really, wow. That's pretty it's good. not more. And so the urgency that I feel, I mean, I, I, we just don't spend that much on heating and cooling our house. Yeah. And so I, it would be nice to have it for, um, you know, that odd occasion, but it's just, you know, Raleigh yeah. doesn't get a lot of severe weather. Yeah, right? sure. Well, I'm I'm thinking of getting a uh, I've got a uh, a solar array that uh, it's sort of a portable thing that you can uh, connect up gives you 12 volts. You know, hmm. I, I doubt it would be. I mean, it's certainly not enough to run my laptop. Right. Uh, in direct sun, it's pretty. It's got a pretty good kick to it, but it's it's not enough to uh, to recharge my laptop. Maybe when it's off, it, it could do it uh, yeah. slowly. But you, you know, it's not set up for it. I'd like to sort of get that handled. Yeah. Um, so so all right so everything else goes out you have you have uh, you know you're basically living off the land you've got your your little AM radio or whatever it is uh, your crank radio ability to transmit pretty much nil I yep. suppose I've got a I've got an ability to transmit um, I have an aircraft radio but it uh, it does rely on rechargeable batteries so I'm sort of in the same uh, the same boat. Um, this stuff and also doing some work in Haiti where, where, where the situation on the ground is very similar to this. There's no consistent power. There's no uh, real communication, not, not even consistent. There just isn't, uh, you know, a network. Uh, the, the phone lines frequently get cut and, uh, you know, it's pretty much, uh, you know, pretty crude living. Uh, so in that scenario, you have to build a lot of your infrastructure. You're gonna, you want power. You got to bring a generator, that type of thing. We ended up going off of uh, uh, satellite. Um, got me to thinking that it uh, it would be, and this is also something that uh, has uh, implication in the Katrina situation, and certainly other places in the third world and other other uh, uh, disaster scenarios. The you've always heard of the AT and T cellular system in a briefcase, right? Somebody rolls up, right? They unsnap the little thing, put up the antenna, you know, plug it in, turn it on, and now you have cellular service in an area. And this this thing is uh, not cheap, Um, but very recently, or not very recently, you know, a couple years, uh, there's been this project called Open BTS, which is an open source uh, GSM. In the United States, we use CDMA primarily, but uh, there are a lot of GSM phones. AT&T and T-Mobile's networks are GSM. Um, A GSM uh, BTS or base station or, you know, access point effectively for uh, cellular phones. 
Um, it requires a piece of hardware called the USRP, which is a universal software programmable radio or something like that. Um, and this is a uh, an FPGA, a field programmable gate array. All these all these you know names is terrible, but an FPGA is very interesting. It's a little piece of hardware that a computer can program to assemble itself in a certain way and do some you know usually relatively uh, simple thing at a very very high frequency, uh, you know, in the radio range. Okay. And so what this thing allows you to do is assemble a uh, a GSM base station, uh, you know, so this, this little box can talk GSM frames out over, you know, can transmit out over the airwaves and then receive uh, uh, GSM packets back from cell phones and then pop it over a little USB or Ethernet cable to a computer, which processes it and actually runs a BTS. Interesting. Um, so, yeah, so it's this little thing. It's actually a very flexible radio. It'll do everything else under the sun from, you know, transmitting and receiving FM and AM and HDTV and even doing uh, RFID and, and radar and, you know, listening to broadcasts from the space station, all this kind of stuff. But the most interesting thing it can do is is turn itself effectively into a uh, base station uh, for mobile phones. Uh, hmm. And then, of course, as you know, asterisk or free switch, you know, you can run a uh, open source PBX on your uh, computer, which will give you effectively, you know, voicemail and, and different, you know, be able to switch calls. One person calls another person, that type of thing. And also, of course, you can you can tie your PBX to a, um, a VoIP provider, like, for example, bandwidth.com. And you can make calls uh, that go out. So now what I've got is a is one of these radios here. I run it at a very low power uh, setting, so it only really works in my apartment. But I can pick up a cell phone, place a call out to anywhere in the world, and receive a call from anywhere in the world to my phone and not pay a monthly fee. Interesting. Um, so is your so is the context for this is you've lost power, you've lost internet, and you've got a few hours left of battery life on your computer, mm-hmm. and and maybe you've got a way somehow you've got a generator or something like that to keep your computer charged, and that effect and so you've essentially got a phone switch in a box for mm-hmm. as long as your generator stays up and your computer stays up, right? Yeah, that's right. So the uh, the idea in the long run would be to replace the AT and T phone system in a box. Box in a briefcase, right? Mm-hmm. Which could cost, you know, well into the six digits okay. and replace it with this little device, which, you know, easily, you know, is purchasable under $10,000. Interesting. Uh, that'll do the same, the same kind of thing uh, yeah. in terms of, you know, you know, uh, they, they run one of these things at uh, Burning Man in California and I think that's six and a half thousand dollars to get the whole system up and going. My system here is uh, roughly three grand, when, and the big component I'm missing is the large transmitter, right? Which which would cost you another few grand, right? Um, so th- this is all you know. This is all possible. All I got to do is buy the transmitter. But what you could do is roll in. I mean, you know, just emergency first responder, all these kinds of things. You could roll in and build a, a cellular network that that just turns on and, and gives service to everyone in the area. 
Yeah, I mean, I think about just having one of those in a, for every four city blocks or something kind of like that, where everybody could use it for, you know, I've got to make a phone call for this reason or that reason, so they show up, and uh, and they can use. Yeah, you know, I just think about it like a block, you know, a city block kind of thing where you could, you know, go out and say, look, I've got I've got cellular service. It's for emergency use only. Mm-hmm. You know, um, step up and you know get in line to make calls or whatever. Well, I would do it a lot like the way the uh, the Burning Man guys did. They they limited outgoing call. There's no incoming calls, first of all. Right. Yeah. Yep. They limited outgoing calls to three minutes, unless you know you're you're uh, obviously like a emergency special person or whatever. The the outgoing calls are just limited, and and you know as long you of course need some sort of a backhaul, some way to the internet. Yep. In order to make those calls happen, but let's just assume that you know there's a fiber into the city that still works, or whatever it is, and then you've got uh, you got this set up, and then you uh, uh, you transmit. Here's the other thing. I mean, uh, it is not. It is certainly feasible to do a 35 kilometer service, something that that has uh, a radius of 35 kilometers, really 70 kilometers edge mm. to edge. Uh, granted, that's really only going to work in rural situations where you don't have as many phones. But technically, right. that's the absolute limit of uh, GSM as a technology if you're going to deploy it out somewhere in a greenfield. So you don't really need to do these once every you know two blocks or whatever it is. Yeah, Although, that's interesting. Of course, you can. Sure. Um, I'm just thinking about uh, uh, you know some some way to quickly get uh, service back. So first of all, backing up. People's uh, people's cell phones. You're always transmitting at some point if you have a cell phone, even if you're, it's it's you know you're not in a call or anything. The thing is is pinging the the cell stations once every whatever to remind it that it's there. It's it's just a you know hello I'm here sort of a ping. Um, you can use that information to follow populations of people and use that to deliver services. If you notice that there's many, many people in a city, you could really almost count the number of people in a city uh, or in an area given the – I know they do this um, in the Horn of Africa where they're having that uh, uh, crisis and people are migrating you know, out of Somalia and all this and – Right. Uh, you know, they're counting them by the, the cell phones that they have. Now, of course, you can't count somebody if their phone eventually dies. So they're in the third world. Actually, they're, they're pretty good about this. They all have solar rechargers and there's there's uh, you know, they're pretty good at uh, keeping a charge. But and I think that might be more of a problem in the developed world. However, it's really a great way to to track a population and know what's there and and watch as they move and see where they go and and all that kind of thing so that's that's actually hugely informative and a and a, a device like this in a suitcase even if it didn't supply cell service service even if all it did was just listen that's one of the things that it could do so this got me to thinking well so let's say you have a katrina event you drop in one of these boxes and it has no backhaul but, you know, backhaul, like a way to call the rest of the uh, the world, okay? But it still is useful. You're walking around with your cell phone in your pocket. It's a two-way radio transceiver. Why shouldn't you be able to use it? So two things. First of all, 
why why don't you just take you know you put in a couple of these open bts instances and connect them via wi-fi long-range wi-fi or wimax or some technology like that and you allow everybody who's there to call everybody else who's there right you make sort of a peer-to-peer -peer phone system and then you take that one farther forget the bts's forget the centralized network write an app that uh you know this would you'd have to do this with android to begin with that allows the Wi-Fi to go into uh, ad hoc mode and turn into effectively a giant peer-to-peer -peer phone system. So the more phones that are there, the more capability the phone system has. So if I want to call you and I'm not within radio earshot of you, but you know Fred is standing between us and he's in the ear radio earshot of both of us, why can't I ping a call through him to get to you? Maybe the quality isn't as great or whatever, or maybe it's just the ability to text, but that's hugely better than not being able to do anything. So to me, it seems the whole, uh, this whole sort of hub and spoke system that we have set up, which is really great for billing and really great for things like that, isn't really ideal in a, uh, in a disaster scenario. Um, I think it's it, the 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 world is just really waiting for somebody to write a good uh, Skype-like app that controls that runs Wi-Fi in ad hoc mode and allows you to create point-to-point -point wireless mesh networks and place calls and texts over them. Yeah, I mean, you could do something where you can, you know, I can publish who I am. Uh, you know, into some so that there's you could have a service that where I register. Yeah. Uh, once I'm in ad hoc mode, I register it with my name and and that sort of thing. And uh, and then if somebody's looking for me, they can search the directory with this app. Yep. And say, oh yeah, Scott's uh, Scott's phone is registered. I can send him a text. Yeah. Um, and if I and I do a search for Anders, oh I don't see Anders. It looks like Anders hasn't registered yet. Mm -hmm. um, so he must not be able to get online yet. But it would be a quick way to just do almost like an instant message, right? Sure. I mean, I think the best way to do this, the best thing to do initially is just. SMS, right? Yep, I agree. Because so, uh, text, everybody's got text. Now. Everybody's got text, and and that's really the easiest service to do because you can store and forward it. It doesn't yep. have to be absolutely instantaneous. And yeah, in exactly. a large peer-to-peer -peer network, you know, it, it doesn't need to be. I would actually design it very similarly. We talked about open uh, about uh, Bitcoin before. Yeah. I would design it very similarly to that. It's uh -huh. just a cryptographically signed system. There is no central authority. There is no, you know, single point where, uh, you know, if you compromise that single point, the whole network is down or if that single point disappears, right? That is actually the case with, with Skype. There are super nodes for Skype. And, you know, if you take those out, the whole network basically falls down. There right. are ways, modern ways to build peer-to-peer -peer networks nowadays that have no single point of failure that are effectively impossible to take down as long as, you know, there are nodes that, that uh, you know, agree to use the, uh, the, the protocol the same way and start talking to each other. Hmm. Um, so, you know, you can, you can distribute a registry just the same way, you know, very similarly to the way uh, Bitcoin does. And, and you know that that's going to work because there are millions of dollars of Bitcoin out there and, uh, you know, as of yet, the uh, the the core technology has not been broken. Uh, yep. I don't believe it's it's easily breakable or realistically breakable. Um, 
it's breakable. Everything's breakable. Sure. But not 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 given the uh, uh, computing power that we have access to nowadays. Yeah. Um, so I think something like that is kind of right around the corner. It'd be really cool to see uh, an app like that show up in in the store that's free for everybody to download, and then you can just kind of set up mesh networks wherever you are, even if you're, you know, let, let's say you're, you're, uh, you don't have a cell phone, you have an iPod touch type, you know, you have a Wi-Fi only type device. Yeah. Uh, and you could set that up, you know, amongst your friends and, and be able to text your friends and that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, I, I just think there's, this is going to happen. Somebody's going to do it. Yeah, and I think I think the point you made about uh, it happening, pro- it probably happens in the developing world first. Yeah. Because, uh, because yeah. they need it, right? Yeah. I mean, they won't ever have the kind of central, centralized infrastructure that we have here. Yeah. Why, why would you ever build it that way if you have the, cho- the choice to not build it that way? Yeah. So, uh, so the, I think the last thing on this, on this topic that is, uh, that is pretty interesting is what do you do for – what do you personally do for making sure – so you talked about you know when the power went out and you started – experiencing hard drive hard drive problems what do you do for getting making sure that your data is offsite so if uh, the yeah. whole city of, if the whole city of boston goes dark mm-hmm. um but you can drive to who knows where you drive to you know new york mm-hmm. and uh new york's got power so you're able to go down there you stay with friends that doesn't do you any good if all of everything that you need is still sitting in boston in some machine true right? so, so let, me, let me tell you what i do and uh-huh. then i want to know what you do so here's what I do. I, I have a, uh, a file system that I call the Vault. Uh, it's uh, about five terabytes, and it's uh, I have a copy of it on my Mac Pro, which has a RAID. So it's got four drives. If any one of those drives fail, everything is cool. Two of them die. I'm I'm up a creek. Uh, I have a copy. I keep an R-synced copy of that Vault over on my uh, server in the closet type machine, which has another. Raid on it, same deal. One of those drives fail, whatever. Uh-huh. Well, I've, I have an R-synced copy of that at my dad's house, who's also on Fios in New York. Uh, same deal, same raid, same file system, R-synced archive. I like never log in there, but it you know every time a change is made, it R-syncs over there. Um, I've got an offline copy of that. Uh, it's obviously out of date uh-huh. uh, with my brothers, so Maryland and Chicago. Uh, I have a deep archive of that copied in sitting in the basement of a school building in New York in a <laughs> file cabinet, and that's printed on CDs. Oh um, my! So this this and this goes way back to the '90s when I when I first set this thing up. It did wasn't always RAID, but it always backed all the way up to that. Yeah. Um, now I've also I also augmented with a bunch of just you know, external hard drives that I have lying around the house. I keep buying these stupid things every time they go up significantly in size. Um, matter of fact, I'm doing a time machine backup as we speak on my, my Mac here. Um, that's what I do. I don't use any, uh, uh, you know, Mosey type, you know, purchased in the cloud type things. I used to have some data in Amazon, but it was way too expensive. And by way too expensive, I mean just, you know, holding five terabytes for, a uh, few months costs you a lot of money, whereas if you put it on a hard drive and spin it down and put it in cold storage, it effectively costs you nothing as long as the drive starts up again. Right, um, right. 
So I've been battling uh, the all of those CDs, especially the ones written in the 90s. I've had to recopy them all because I was afraid that they would become unreadable after 10 years. So my cycle has been about 10 years with those things. Uh, but I don't really have a very good uh, solution for, I mean, it's horribly out of date right now. Uh-huh. Right? I don't have a very good solution. Really, my, my vault, co- you know, R-Sync is the best thing I've got. Yeah. So what do you do? I do something uh, infinitely more simple. Uh, so I actually, uh, there for a long time, I would do um, uh, probably a poor man's version of your thing. I had a couple of machines that I synced everything to, um, and so I had a, I had a central box that I that I synced my local machines to, mm-hmm. and then I had an external drive that I would that was always hooked up that I would move everything from that box onto the external drive and then I would periodically switch those things out. Oh, um, yeah. And so I'd have one online, one offline. And then if I you know if I if we went on vacation, I always took one with me. Right. In case somebody broke into the house or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um I would I would always have one with me. I and probably a year or so ago, probably more than that now actually, I uh, I signed up for Mosey. You did, and I did, and I put, and there, and it started because I had a, I had a crisis moment with all of my photos, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, where I thought I had lost them all, Ouch. and, and so it turns out I was just looking in the wrong place, but yeah, um, but you have that that moment where you're like, holy cow, this is every picture I've ever taken of my kids, um, has yeah. just vaporized, and so I signed up for Mosey. And uh, for ten bucks a month, I think it's 125 gigs of storage, That's which is great for photos. Yeah, yeah. And so I put everything that I feel like I can't live without mm-hmm. um, goes up there. So that's my. Uh, that's things for me. That's like pictures, my tax returns, mm-hmm. um, you know, just things that I feel like if I if the whole world blew apart, I still want to have those things. Yeah. Um, but outside of that, I don't. Uh, and so I've also that syncs. Uh, I sync to Mosey. I've got, you know, on all of my machines. I, I've got three machines here in the house where I actually care about it. And on all of those machines, I've got the backup runs at like two in the morning. It syncs everything that hasn't been, um, that hasn't you know that's changed up to Mosey. And I just make sure that uh, the folders that I care about are are on there. And then I also use for like source control and things like that. Mm-hmm. I use, I use a service for that, that I, it's all offsite. And, um, and obviously I've got local copies of it. So I feel like the chances of the, uh, the offsite thing and yeah. my, and my copy going bad at the same time, or if that happens, then there's probably something bigger happening. Right. Well, um, here, so that, that brings up, are you, uh, I don't want to uh, interrupt your, your flow here, but uh, that brings up a good point that I'm I'm really worried about. Most of my media, all the new stuff, is on spinning disks, but magnetic. Uh-huh. If there's some kind of a magnetic event, granted, hopefully that's not going to be you know U.S. wide. I do also, incidentally, have uh, all my photos on a server in Texas that that runs Anders.com, and that's that's a whole nother copy of about half of the vault right there, um, or less than half. Um, but it's all on magnetic disk, except for the stuff that's on CD. What happens if if there's a big magnetic event, and yeah. you know, and you lose all your? I mean, I, I'm I'm up a creek. I've got my laptop has an SSD, but outside of that, it's it's. I mean, I don't have a copy of everything on my laptop. I mean, that's yeah. a problem. 
Yeah, but I, I so my theory on that is if something like that happens, there's uh, there's going to be a lot bigger problems. Yeah, than, than my data, and so doesn't mean that it's insignificant. But I think the you know if there's a some event where you know some bomb goes off in Boston or something like that, <laughs> yeah. and uh, the chances of that affecting me in a material way that have nothing to do with m- my ability to get on the internet and do work is pretty pretty significant. Yeah. So, I mean, if that happens, then, you know, the country goes into lockdown mode and who knows what happens next. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. it's, uh, it's, but it's, uh, it's always good to, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, thinking about these things is it's the classic thing is you don't think about it until you have the moment where you need to think about it. Yep. And so, uh, I think it's, it's good just to talk about it. You do a lot more in terms of data backup than I do. Um, I'm probably a bit more cavalier about it, but the, <laughs> or at least I don't worry about backing up everything I've ever had. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like you probably do that. So, well, it's not everything I, I do, you know, the stuff I have, it's broadly categorized as photos so that's that's all me that's the i'm the only one who has copies of that effectively uh you know media so so video and audio uh that's a lot of that i mean there's there's home movies and stuff like that but for the most part that's stuff that uh you know movies i've bought or whatever is i've got uh you know there are other copies of that i could replace that uh and then the the big one is uh well the big one in terms of importance right next to the photos is my uh code backup and that's just a in a thing called backup and that has uh you know database dumps that has git archives that has uh code that i've written you know from the 80s uh you know just nostalgic stuff basic games i wrote on an apple II. you know um all kinds of stuff like that so in order for something to actually go over the edge and enter the vault, it's a pretty high bar. I don't, most of the new stuff I'm working on now is not in the vault. It only goes in the vault, uh, you know, because it's relatively expensive to, to, to save those bits for, you know, forever. Um, it, it takes a bit to push it over that edge. So, you know, and I probably don't push it enough. I mean, the thing that got me really thinking about this was the fact that, one of my drives died in in my uh, raid, and uh, you know, strangely enough, three four months before, uh, a drive in the same spot died. Um, so now I keep replacing them with brand new drives, and they rebuild, and everything is cool. But you know, it's a terrible you know track record uh, to only get four months out of a drive at most. So yeah. that's that's what I'm dealing with. Yeah. Anyway, Interesting. Yeah. Good times. So, uh, so we will let's wrap this up, and we will um, uh, see you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Come uh, check us out online. Leave us comments on iTunes. Uh, search for us three fifty third, and let us know what you think. Thanks a lot. <laughs>